Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Well, let's pray together one more time. So Lord, this is the, the prayer that I prayed for this church uh, the most on my patio this summer. And so now I'm asking again for us as a people to see this, that our eyes that are open to you would be opened further to see more. That's the miracle of grace, that you would come by your spirit now through your word, through someone like me proclaiming your word, and you'd bring about new life and new hope and new sight and new wisdom for us to walk in. So Lord, come now by your spirit and work for the good of your people and for the glory of your name to create worship, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is, I said it in my prayer, this is the prayer along with the prayer in Ephesians 3 that I got to pray for all of you the most uh, on my patio this summer as we were on our sabbatical praying that God would do this in you and in me and our family and blood-bought family over the summer. And it's an interesting prayer coming off of Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. So last week, if you weren't here, we saw all these spiritual blessings that Paul, I said, wanted to hit the church like a tidal wave of grace. In other words, Paul was saying, God is for you. God is with you. God has done this. And I want you to be overwhelmed by a tidal wave of grace of just how for you he is from eternity past to eternity future, right? What were some of those things chosen before the foundation of the world to be in his presence, adopted into his family, redeemed and lavished with riches of grace, promised a glorious inheritance, promised that we'd be kept by the Holy Spirit. And all of this was accomplished in Jesus Christ. And like Peter said in the welcome, that we'd glorify his name, that we'd worship. All in Jesus Christ that would lead to our worship. In Jesus, his blood purchases all of these blessings and the Father loves you like he loves Jesus. That's what Paul wants the church to know. So what else is needed? Right? Couldn't Paul just stop his letter here and just be done and say, that's who you are. But Paul doesn't stop. And for Paul, what more is needed? The answer for him is prayer, which almost seems counterintuitive. You already have all these things. What are you going to pray for? And the answer is more. <laughs> more sight, more hope, more understanding, deeper relationship with Jesus. And the reason Paul's going to pray is because Paul knows we need help to remember Paul knows that we can't ever graduate from going deeper and deeper into the goodness and grace of God. Why? Why? Because sin is real. Anyone in here not sinning at all? Right? Sin is real. And it makes us forget the beauty of Jesus as we run after other things. Right? When you're sinning, when you're running after other things, Jesus isn't front and center on your mind. And so we need to remember. And so Paul prays. Suffering is real. Right? Sam just prayed for a, a bunch of suffering. Suffering is real. And it makes us forget the bigness of God's promises because 
pain comes and chokes out his goodness. So we're even convinced, does he really see me? Does he really care? Is he really that invested? And sometimes it's not sin or suffering. Sometimes it's just apathy, right? We just get kind of lulled to sleep. We forget our first love of Christ and we give our time and our energy and our effort to a hundred other things. And then we wonder, why am I bored with Jesus? Well, because we're giving our time and energy and effort to a hundred other things. And Paul knows two things. Paul knows that God is worthy of our worship. And Paul knows he loves this church. And so he prays. And so as we see this prayer today, we're going to see the goodness and bigness and beauty of the gospel and all it has for us and all it purchases for us. And I hope that you'll be encouraged. You'll be stirred up. You'll be exhorted to go, I should pray for our church like this. So that you'll both experience the goodness and the beauty and the bigness of the gospel. And you'll go, and I should pray for our church like Paul prays for the church. So let's dive in here. Why Paul prays point one here. I want to start at the, with verse 18 in this, this phrase that I think shows us why Paul can pray with such confidence. And the phrase is, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, some people say that Paul is praying because their, their eyes are dim or their eyes are blind, so he's praying for sight. But that's not actually how the verb works here in this passage. The, the phrase here is in a verb tense that means Paul is talking about something that happened in the past that still has effects going on in the future. In other words, Paul is saying, your eyes were open in the past, and I know that they're still open now, therefore I pray. So that's what he's praying. And why is he praying that way? For a church, right? A bunch of believers who have seen Jesus. Their eyes have been opened to the gospel. So Paul is saying, I know your eyes have been opened. I know you can see Jesus. And so we could say, how does he know that? Like, what does Paul know about this place? What should mark a church that would help the church and those around the church go, their eyes are open. They see Jesus. Well, I think that's verse 15. He says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. So I think Paul knows their eyes are open because he's heard of their faith in Jesus and their love for these other believers. And as I read this this summer, I was like, this is just a great definition of what should mark any Christian church, right? We can have like whatever mission statements we want and whatever theological distinctives we want and we should go hard and deep after the Lord and the Bible, but would it be said of South City's church, they trust Jesus and they love each other. <laughs> they trust Jesus with all their hearts and suffering and brokenness and sin and man, they overflow in love for one another. So Paul hears about that and he says, I've heard and I believe that their eyes are open. Notice that Paul uses here the title Lord Jesus. If you read through Ephesians carefully, you'll see Paul refers to Jesus in different titles in different ways at different points. And here I think he refers to him as Lord Jesus because saving faith, what it does is it trusts in Jesus as Savior. That's his name, Jesus. He saves. And he's also Lord, which means saving faith gladly submits its whole life to Jesus in every single area. 
So he hasn't just heard of kind of a, a verbal or intellectual consent to the gospel. He's heard they trust in Jesus and they obey him. They follow him. They've given their whole lives to him. And this new faith brings us into a family. Right? I often say there is no Lone Ranger Christianity. Right? You have to be brought into a family. And this family confirms and strengthens our love for Jesus. Our shared identity in Jesus creates a shared loving family in Jesus. And Paul says, that's how I know. That's how I know your eyes have been opened. That's why I can pray so boldly for more sight because I can tell that you've seen. So kids, let me give you an example. How would Paul know something like this? How would anyone know anything about us, right? Well, a lot of you know that I love basketball, right? And the way you know about it is I talk about it like this all the time. Right? I use it in examples and you tell me that example didn't make sense to me. I don't know basketball, right? And so I try to mix it up. But you've learned about me that I love basketball. And the way you can tell, because I talk about it, I watch it, I play it, and I spend other time with other people playing it and coaching it and watching it. In kids, you have things you love to do. Right? You have a bunch of things you love to do. And people can tell what you love by how much you talk about it and how much you do it with others and how much you ask mom and dad, I want to do this and get my friends over here to do this. And that's what Paul's saying about this church. And that's what we want for our church. Paul has heard this church is trusting Jesus for salvation, following Jesus in all of life and loving each other as a family. And he goes, I know who they are. And so because I know who they are, I can pray boldly that they'd know who they are even more. Point number two. So that's why Paul's praying. He knows that they're believers. He's heard of their faith. And he wants more for them. How does he pray? Verses 16 to 17. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So I just want to point out two ways that Paul prays here. He prays thankfully and he prays expansively. So he prays thankfully and he prays expansively. Notice that Paul is thankful to God. He knows God is the one who's done this. God is the one who's called people to himself, chosen, adopted, redeemed, kept, given an inheritance. So he's thankful to God. And I just think that's a good word for us. In an age of skepticism and frustration, what would it look like for a church to just be thankful for all that God has done without being distracted by everything else that's going on out there? It is the most easy and natural thing in the world to be critical. And I know that because it's the most easy and natural thing for me to be critical. Right? I, I, I know my heart just wants to go, I didn't like that. I wish we'd do that different. Like, if you think that you've got issues with our church, like, I guarantee you my list is longer. Like, I, it is. I guarantee you I'm worrying about it more than you are. I guarantee I don't like it more than you don't like it. Like, we're never going to be perf perfect. But in my heart this summer, as I sat on my patio, thinking of you, thinking of our worship, thinking of our Bible studies, thinking of our care, thinking of our elders and our deacons and our small groups, I'm thinking of all that, I thought, I'm thankful. I'm really thankful because, man, they love Jesus and they love each other, I'm thankful. Are we thankful? 
Do we thank God because he saves? Or have we kind of gotten over that salvation thing? We're too mature to be thankful for that now, right? Have we, are we thankful because he creates a, a family, that he gives the gift of faith? Are we amazed at his work among us like Paul is here? Thankfulness, I think, could be one of the greatest witnesses in a world of vitriol and a great litmus test for our own hearts of how we're resting in Jesus and loving others. So Paul is thankful and he prays with thanksgiving. Are your prayers marked by thanksgiving for what God's doing? And second, Paul prays expansively. Paul believes their eyes are open. He's seen their faith and love. He's thankful for that. And Paul believes God wants to work in Christ for his own glory. We saw that last week. And so Paul, what does he do? He prays for more for them. I love that. (laughs) I love that he's not just content with the status quo. He prays to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. The title is there to say, this is the God who accomplished all this work in Christ for you. Right? This is the God who's brought you into this family as a son or daughter. This is the God with endless riches of power from his eternal glory to work with. And he can't be stopped. That's who I'm praying to. That's what Sam said right before he prayed. That's who we're praying to. And Paul says, that's why I'm confident. That's why I'm praying expansively because that's the God I serve and pray for and pray to. And so Paul's praying for a fresh new work of the Holy Spirit to give more wisdom and revelation. I think that's what's going on here. It's the Holy Spirit that he's praying to do more for, right? The Holy Spirit is identified as the the keeper and the seal and the guard in verses 1 to 14. In chapter 3, he's going to talk about being filled with the fullness of God, that the, the Holy Spirit would come in and confirm and deepen that we'd know We'd know this love that surpasses knowledge. He's praying here to the Holy Spirit, do more. Show them more, more sight. Their eyes are open, but Paul wants them to see more and see better. When babies are born, so like our our little girl, Remy, when they're born, they can only see in black and white and about 18 inches away, right? 18 to 20 Three, apparently it's the range I found in all the websites. And that's amazing. Like when her gaze meets my gaze and I can tell she can see me, it's amazing, right? Like it's the most amazing thing in the world. She doesn't like me as much as Kelly, but she likes me a lot, <laughs> right? And she, when we walk in the basement from like two to three in the morning sometimes, or when I take her in the morning so that Kelly can sleep a little bit longer, right? We, we're in the basement. Like she, I love that. I, I don't like... Uh, go see more, right? See better. I love that she can see. She's been born into our family. We love her. And yet, I hope as she gets older, she can see more than 18 inches away. I hope that she can start to see in color and context and depth and take in more beauty and more goodness. And that's what Paul wants for the church. He's like, you're alive. You're born into the family. You can see. I hear that you love Jesus and you you love each other. What an amazing thing. You're alive. Do you feel alive? And I want you more alive. (laughs) I want to see more of the goodness and more of the beauty. He wants their sight to grow. 
Why? Right? Why does he want more revelation? Because he wants more wisdom for them. In other words, there's this connection that Paul wants to see, like, when you see more of who God is, when you see more of how good this gospel is, you can walk in it more. <laughs> you can walk with him more. Right? We don't send little Remy on walks by herself around the neighborhood yet. Um, that would be irresponsible, right? But as we see more of who God is and what he's done, we can walk with him more wisely. Like when I see more of God and more of the gospel, I can see his path more clearly. Things that were fuzzy 10 years ago, they're not as fuzzy anymore. Now there's things in front of me that I know looking back in 10 years, I'll go, man, I don't have all that stuff yet. But that, that's clearer because I'm walking nearer and nearer with Jesus. He's showing me more and more. We stay with him more closely. We love others more completely. We're better able to discern what's honoring to him, what's dishonoring to him. Do I go right or left? Where is God calling me to walk here? And we should pray this way for ourselves and for our church. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for making us alive. Thank you that we can, we can see. Please help us see more. Please help us see bigger Please help us see brighter, more colors, more context, that we might walk more wisely and more closely with you. So Paul's praying because he believes that their eyes have been opened. He's praying expansively and thankfully for more for them. And so then what does he actually want them to see? I would argue that there's still five chapters after this that he wants them to see. But this is where he's going to start. And I think he's going to unpack these ideas for about five chapters. Where does he want their hearts tuned to walk in wisdom? In other words, what does Paul think this church, saved by grace, walking by faith, and loving one another, needs to know to go deeper in so that they can see more clearly and walk more closely? And he says three things. So I'll read them to you, and then we'll take them one by one. He says, number one, verse 19, that you would know what is the hope to which he's called you. Number two, he says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Then he says, number three, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So our hope, God's inheritance, God's power towards us. So let's look at them one at a time. First, the hope we've been called to. So when you read that, you have to go, well, obviously, there's all this stuff in verses 1 to 14. That's enough, right, to stir my hope. Chosen, adopted, redeemed. All those things. That's enough to stir my hope and inheritance. But let me just read you. I'm just going to read you four verses from the New Testament that talk about this call of God and what it brings us into. Because so I think it sheds light on what Paul's getting at here. What is this hope we've been called to? So 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope you are not bored with being called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Fellowship. <laughs> Sin gone. Cast as far as the east is from the west. Like you can talk to Jesus. Right? Real fellowship. You can talk with him and walk with him. He's not pretend. He's real. Been called into fellowship. That should make you hopeful. 1 Thessalonians 2.12. We charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's a big deal. 
not the kingdom of darkness anymore, but the kingdom of his beloved son into glory now and forever. That should make you hopeful. Hebrews 9:15. Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Jesus making a way, a mediator by his blood, a perfect, compassionate high priest so that you get all that's promised to you. That should make you hopeful. Or 1 Peter 2:9. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're in the light, right? Walk as children of light. Paul's going to say that later in Ephesians. You're, you're in the light. You're not in the darkness. Isn't it good to not be in the darkness when you think about what the darkness is? That should make you hopeful. Fellowship with Jesus, brought into the kingdom, brought into his eternal glory for an eternal inheritance, out of darkness into marvelous light as a chosen royal people. Paul wants you to know that. Now he said he wants you to know that so you see more to walk more wisely. So then you have to ask, how does that make me wiser? Right? How, does, how does knowing that help me walk with wisdom? 700 ways, I'll give you a couple. First, it helps you walk more wisely because it's easy to forget who we are and where we are. It's easy to forget who we are and where we are. I said this in the intro a little bit, but it's easy to think God has forgotten us in suffering and lose hope. Easy to think that. I meet with people all the time that think that. I think that sometimes in my down moments, right? God's forgotten. Right? The psalmists think that all the time, and so they have to remind themselves of these promises. Right? It's easy to identify ourselves with our sin and think, my sin's just too much to ever walk in fellowship with Jesus again. And that's just a, that's just a knock on Jesus. Like his sacrifice wasn't enough. He would just say, come on back. Come on back. Walk in fellowship with me again. Remember the hope that you've been called to. It's easy to identify ourselves by your failures or achievements rather than simply by the reality that we've been called by God. And the way you know this is when you start doing that with other people. You start looking at them and going, well, what have, what have they done? What are, what are they doing, good or bad? Probably you've got an achievement complex in your heart that you're putting on other people instead of just going, they see. Thank God that they, they see. It's easy to walk in apathy rather than remember we are God's people meant to walk into the light out of darkness and proclaim his excellencies. It's easy to think the world around us that we can actually see and touch and the news you read and the, the things you listen to, right? If you're honest, where you spend a little bit more time than in your Bible and with Jesus, it's easy to think those are more real than Jesus, right? And forget, oh wait, there's another kingdom. There's another kingdom. We're citizens of a a different homeland. Right? We, have a, we have a better hope. It's, it's not here. It's easy to become enamored with popularity and fame as if this world is the main place we're going to find our value and forget, oh yeah, we're royalty. <laughs> right? we're, a, we're a chosen people with an eternal inheritance meant to show the goodness and beauty of Christ to a broken, hurting, and deeply confused world. 
We need reminders, right? Because it's just easy. Those, those aren't things I don't think are foreign to you. You're just going, yeah, I do that, I do that, I do that. I did all that on my way to church today, right? As I fought with my family, right? I mean, we, <laughs> so we're praying for, Lord, remind us because we're broken people just run after fickle things. We need to go deeper in knowing who we are and where we are in God's kingdom. We need to have this kind of mindset in our homes and in our workplaces with how we spend our time and our energy and our resources, with how we view our neighbors with that flag up in their yard or or that saying on their front doorstep. Like, who are you without Jesus, right? Like, you don't got to be shaken. Like, your hope isn't how much your neighbors are like Jesus that don't know Jesus. Your hope's in Jesus. Isn't that good news? Your hope's in Jesus. You've been called to these things and they're not going to change because he doesn't change. We get the privilege of fellowship with Jesus, the privilege of walking with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're going to have him forever. (laughs) Nothing is ultimately up for grabs. Nothing. Do, Do you believe that? Nothing is ultimately up for grabs eternally. Nothing. Say it to yourself. (laughs) Nothing is eternally up for grabs because of this hope. His kingdom is unshakable and unstoppable. So we don't need to spend our life working ourselves up in anger or fear over political or social headlines. Instead, we can just go, man, I have Jesus. I'm going to have him forever. His kingdom's unshakable. And so I'm going to draw near to him again. I'm going to love my brothers and sisters in this place again. I'm going to seek to spread this good news in word and deed. And probably, if you'd block out a lot of the noise and sit somewhere with a Bible, maybe a friend, and pray, it'd probably be time better spent than whatever doom scrolling you're doing all the time. Just be settled. Be a Christian right where you are, wherever you are. Number one, two more. Second, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance? There's a debate about if this is our inheritance of God or God's inheritance of us. In the end, both are like really good news. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you have to choose, you can choose one, but both are really good because in the end what it means is like we're his and he's ours and we're with him forever. I tend to think because of the way Paul's using it, that it's God's inheritance of us, that this is kind of Old Testament fulfillment, right? God's people are always his possession, right? The Old Testament is filled with the idea that God's people belong to him as his treasured possession. We just heard this in 1 Peter 2.9. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And you're what? A people for his own possession. God calls Israel his son, right? He calls him his son, his unfaithful son. Christ came to fulfill all of the things that Israel could never fulfill. He's the perfect obedient son. All of verses 1 to 14 was how we, the church, are in Christ. And so as a people believing in Jesus, saved by him, all our sin goes on to him. All his righteousness comes to us. And God, in doing that, has a glorious inheritance in his saints. God has a people that will gather around his throne and sing his praise in white robes washed in the blood of the lamb for all eternity. And God looks at that and says, that's, a, that's my inheritance. <laughs> that's my people, right? We saw it in Genesis over and over again, God's people in God's place to enjoy God's presence. God goes, that's what I've been working for. 
Right? That's who I've been going after. That's who I redeem. And here they are now, my inheritance. How does that help you walk wisely? Well, I think it helps you walk wisely when you wonder if you've gone too far for God to care anymore. God would say, you're my inheritance. I've purchased you by my blood. I'm not, I'm not letting you go. I'm not going to let you. You can't leave if you want to. I'm not letting you go. I'm going to keep coming after you. No one snatches you out of my hand. Not one has been lost. I think it helps you walk wisely when you wonder if he remembers you in suffering. Remember, he's invested in you. You're his inheritance. He suffered to purchase you. He gave his spirit to keep you. He won't let you go. He loves you and he's for you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. And he's going to keep you forever in his presence as his precious, glorious inheritance. God is for you and not against you. And he's shown that in Christ from eternity past to now. Third one. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe? And we don't have to guess at what Paul is saying here because he just says, here's what I mean in verses 19 to 23. So read it with me. Says the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So kids, why does, why does Paul tell us about this power? Well, I was thinking about when my kids watch a movie, right? In a movie, the scary parts come when we don't know if the good person or the bad person is going to win. That's kind of how a good movie works, right? Like who's going to win? And, and we all know, we can feel it. Like it's, it's really getting bad here and I know it's going to turn, but we can't stop ourselves from feeling the anxiety, right? Like what, what if it doesn't turn, right? Because one out of every 75 movies has that bad ending. Right? And then, is this the one? Are we going to feel bad at the end of this? We have to wonder who's going to be stronger? Who's going to win? And the Bible is just so over and over again clear. That's not how it is with Jesus. That's not how it is with Jesus. Jesus is stronger, Jesus wins, no matter who he's up against, no matter what age it is. Like, that's what Paul says to his church. He says, he's going to be over everything, and not just in this age. He's not just ruler for a little while, but in all the ages that are coming, Jesus always wins. So if you think, well, this age we're in is way worse than that age they were in, Jesus wins. <laughs> if you think, whatever you think, right, Jesus wins. His power towards us, not only does Jesus win like it's this big fireworks display in the sky and someday we're just going to get to worship that we are, but Jesus wins in such a way that we get all the benefits of the resurrection and reign of Jesus. Because if you read chapter 2, you're going to go, that sounds like the end of chapter 1, except it's us with him. 
because we get all the benefits of his rule and resurrection in Jesus, which is amazing. This is what it means, again, to be in Christ, union with Christ. All that's Jesus is we get, which is why you should take Nick's class starting next week and just learn about all of it so you can worship and be encouraged. But I'm just going to tell you three things that we see here about this power towards us. First of all, his resurrection conquers death. Chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says, We are raised with Christ and seated with him to never die. As Jesus is raised to never die again, so are we. Death will come. It's going to come for all of us. Death is why we hate suffering. Because <laughs> it reminds us that there's death. <laughs> Right? Death is why we run after a hundred other things to try to make us happy in this moment because we're convinced our time's going to run out and we, we better get as much out of this life as we can. But Jesus says this. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will never die. That's why our hope is living. That's why we have a, a living hope. Underneath all suffering is the whisper of death. We feel life is being stolen and time is running short. And we're missing that moment and that moment. Underneath every desperate attempt to run after sin is the idea that we don't have much time. We need more worldly pleasure here and now. But Jesus would say, wait a second. Wait a second. You're, you're not thinking clearly. That's why you need your eyes bigger and brighter to see more. Death is swallowed up in resurrection. <laughs> So that fear and hopelessness and suffering can be crushed because we'll know we'll be with him forever. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's easy. So don't hear me saying the resurrection's real, so don't struggle with suffering. Don't walk out of here going, I'm not, I'm not hopeful enough, and so I'm not suffering well enough. I'm just saying, in your suffering, do you believe that the resurrection is real? coming back. He's going to make all things new. He cares about you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's going to be with you. He's going to get you to the end. And we know that we'll live with him forever. So as we seek to follow him and be with him and the things of this world come up and they seem really attractive, we just look and we go, eternity with Jesus is better. <laughs> Resurrection life's going to be better. This thing might make me happy for 30, most of the times like 30 seconds, right? That's really small compared to eternity. But even if that sin you love made you happy for 50 years, really, really small compared to eternity with Jesus. So this resurrection makes us go, we can walk with wisdom in our suffering. Not easy. We can walk with wisdom. We can walk with wisdom in the fight against sin, knowing the resurrection is real. Number two, this passage shows us that Jesus rules over darkness. There are no demonic powers or authorities that can stand against King Jesus. And we're in him, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. The darkness will not win. So if you often look around nervous at the sinful, and yes, I believe demonic wisdom and ways of the world that we're living in right now, you can rest. You can rest. Jesus is raised and Jesus rules. He wins. He reigns forever. And your heart can rest in that, right? You can still be engaged and know what's going on. But if you find yourself hitting refresh, I got to catch that radio program because if I don't, I won't know what's going on. You know what's going on better than anyone else in the world knows what's going on. It's that Jesus is alive and reigning and ruling and will forever. And you're going to be with him.
Do you believe that? And finally, Jesus redeems us to spread his dominion. This point was the hardest just to wrap my mind around as I thought about it all summer. But I think it's this amazing truth. Jesus is head over all things. All things. All things are under his feet. This picture of complete domination, complete dominion. And then it says he's our head, the ruler of the church, which at a minimum means it's a good thing to have the ruler of all things be the one that rules you, right? That's a good thing. It's a good thing to have the one who rules all things be the one you trust in, walk with, love, and follow. Even that itself should give us great confidence. And here it says Jesus fills all things. What does that mean? I think it means that all things are full of his presence and power in such a way that his purposes will surely come to pass. All things everywhere, all times, all ages, all places are so full of his presence and power that his purposes will surely come to pass. That's what it means that he fills all things in this kingly way. It's an expression of his authority and reign. And then he says this crazy thing. We, the church, are his body, the fullness of the one who fills all. Okay, so if it means that his presence and power go to all places to make sure his purposes come to pass and we're the fullness, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? I'll end with this. Here's what I think it means. It means we know who we are and why we're here. I'll rehearse it for you one more time. We're chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're kept, we're resurrected, we're ruling with Jesus, we're called by great promises for great purposes. Why? To fill up this place. And by this place, I mean wherever you are. I mean your neighborhood, I mean your workplace, I mean Lakeville, all the cities around it, I mean on the mission field. I mean at 2 o'clock in the morning changing the diaper. I mean doing the dishes. I mean watching the game later today. I mean, you guys already watched your game, didn't you? Um, I mean, sorry, sorry, I won't go there. I mean everywhere. Everywhere you are. It means filling up that place with the power and presence of Jesus until the day we're in his presence forever. We're here to carry out this kingdom on earth. Now that can start to sound like rule, reign, right? Take it over. And one day that's coming. But what does it mean right now? I think what it means is we walk through the New Testament. Maybe this isn't very popular, but it means we walk the path of suffering that he walked. It means we fill up what's lacking in his afflictions. It means we walk with him towards those who hate us to give them his forgiveness and his love while we tell people about his death, resurrection, kingdom, eternal glory, and inheritance. It means that we forgive. It means that we bless those who curse us, love those who hate us, walk in love as we've been loved. There's a day coming, I'm really looking forward to it, when he's going to come back and his rule and reign are going to be complete. <laughs> Imagine that. Just all sin and suffering gone, every tear wiped away, all evil snuffed out, all justice complete, all mercy complete. Right? It's just going to be perfect, just a, a world of love, this triune, trinitarian love that we're going to be caught up in. 
But right now, his kingdom on earth looks like a kingdom of humbly trusting him, humbly enduring suffering, humbly speaking of his goodness and beauty in the gospel to others, and following him on the road of the cross. The road of humble, self-giving suffering that we pray leads to the redemption and life for those around us. Right? We all know the hashtag blessed. And if you go and read right, the Beatitudes, go read the Beatitudes and go, that's, that's life in the kingdom. That's life bringing about the kingdom. Right? Blessed are those who, who mourn. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Right? Blessed are those, we, we want it all right now. We want all the dominion, all the authority. And Jesus just says, didn't I tell you you were just going to walk this road of suffering with me? All that's coming. But right now, walk this road with me. So let's pray that we'd know our hope, our inheritance, his power towards us all the more that we might walk in deeper sight and wisdom and trust and self-giving love like he showed us. So let me pray. Lord, that's what we want. Oh God, that you maybe in this moment have opened our eyes to see a little bit further than 18 inches. To see more color and more context that we might see more of your goodness and beauty that we might walk in more wisdom. Oh God, you're your hope for us is unending. Your rule is unshakable and your power towards us is, is insurmountable. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would right now treasure that, love that, worship you in that, and help us walk wisely with those things as the main things that we see. Those things being the main things that control our thoughts and our actions and our minds. Those things being the main reality that we think about. Not because we're trying to play mind tricks on ourselves or make ourselves seem like things are better when they're not, but because that's what is true. That's who you are. That's what you've promised us in Christ. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.